Welcome to the Azure for Sports podcast, hosted by the Azure for Sports team at Microsoft. Hello and welcome everyone to our latest episode of the Azure for Sports podcast. I'm Suzanne Tedrick, Infrastructure Specialist with the Azure team. As always, I'm joined with my Azure partner in crime, Mr. John Flynn for Data and AI. How's it going, John? It's going well, Suzanne. Awesome. It's been a little bit, so I'm really glad that we're, we're finally here. And I'm really excited for who we have as a guest today. I am so honored to welcome our general manager and chief operating officer for the U.S. Azure business, John Nisi. John, it is a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for making the time. Of course, anytime. You know, when you can blend sports and work, you know, happiness happens. So, again, thank you so much. This is so cool. John and I joke about this a lot in that we are some of the luckiest folks where we get, I mean, we get to do all of these cool things on the job that people would just, like, they would actually pay to be in our shoes. So <laughs> being able to do that every day is, is so awesome. Why don't we get the discussion started by you going over your role at Microsoft and a little bit about your background? Absolutely. Sure. So been in Microsoft quite a while. I was in the industry before. And, and when I joined Microsoft as just a developer, which is kind of where we were, our sweet spot as a company, I quickly realized it was fun to stitch things together. It was fun to understand what was behind things, what drove things. And I think that's what sort of drove me in the direction of analytics and data, probably before we, we had a group who did it. Uh, and I, I spent some time in an incubation group called Media and Entertainment here in Microsoft out of New York, East Coast. So it was always the right place to be, to enjoy media, telco, entertainment. And then so along my journeys, I became our worldwide CTO for data and AI for our professional services organization. That was uh, absolutely spectacular, traveling the world, helping customers put data to use to create AI solutions that they could actually get something out of instead of just sort of a really cool project in the basement and never saw the light of day. And then for, for the last three years, uh, I've served in this role, which is quite fascinating because in our business groups is what we call them. The mission here is to formulate and generate the strategy and the go-to-market for the space of the business I look after, which is data, analytics, AI, and then cross-solution, which is stitching together all those wonderful things that we may, we may build in engineering to create cool outcomes and to really orchestrate an environment so that our 10,000 uh, fantastic folks just like you have what you need and can bring amazing solutions to our customers so they can have what they need for their customers. So it's a bit of business planning, business strategy, go to market, marketing, analytics. It encompasses sort of the end to end of trying to drive a business forward and make sure we're also really focused on looking around the corner because what's coming is just as important as what's here now. So hopefully that wasn't too boring, but that gives you a sense that I get, I get to see a little left to right on, on what's going on here in the data and AI space. That's awesome, and thank you. And look, I mean, I'll admit it straight up front, I'm fanboying a little bit, right? Not only because obviously we've got you on the show, so we're super excited about that, and data and AI and analytics is is, uh, is the blood that runs through my veins, so to speak. But also, you, you speak about the past, the future, and, and, and the present being encompassing from the past and leading us to the future. But a lot of the questions we used to get, John, was, wait, Microsoft does sports? Really? What, what does that mean, right? But I think one of the cool things here as well is you have a history 
in sports and Microsoft. Would you be comfortable telling us a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm Like I said, you know, uh, anytime you can blend sports, which is a passion with work, which is a, a passionate use of energy, I, I think you're in a great place. And, and many years ago, we, we entered into an amazing partnership with the NFL. And at the time, I was our East Region CTO, so basically covering Maine to Miami, the East Coast of the U.S. And we just got this call and said, hey, be on this call tomorrow. We can't tell you what it's about, but it's pretty freaking important. And we get on the call with some of the coolest people from the NFL office, and we find out, you know, Roger Goodell and our CEO had signed a deal, and, uh, and it was go time. And the clock was ticking. That was the fun part. <laughs> oh, we're, we're literally finding out about it and it's like oh and the season starts so in about <laughs> what did we get we probably got about seven months or something and oh, it was man. and 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 we learned a little more about it and, and we were entering this this long-term relationship but uh really point was to to put technology on the sideline for the first time they have uh coached quarterback comms really that's it and they were working on some electric medical record stuff and some player health stuff as well. But this was going to be on TV. Like every week, this was going to be the solution you saw in good and in bad. <laughs> and it was fascinating. So amazing leaders from Microsoft. So, so our, our partner in crime out in the marketing division, James Bernstrom, he, he was the rock that brought this thing together because while we're trying to figure out, and, and my job at the time was, was how do you make a solution that actually could work here? But that had a lot of people challenges, operational challenges, infrastructure challenges. Oh, by the way, we also needed a device that could work really well in pouring rain, in the sun of Miami in, in August. There were so many challenges, but fast forward a, a few years we're a staple on the sideline the device over my shoulder is is one of my favorite tokens from that that amazing time and and what that turned to john is is and it was one of the most fascinating projects and because it was a first up you know it was innovative we were we were teaching folks how to how to use it how to think differently but what that turned into was really a, a great halo effect people understood that microsoft was in this industry we could provide solutions these were things that we were passionate about as a company. And so we, we ended up working and taking some of the other great work by teams, whether that was Real Madrid. I'm sure you're familiar with, with the football project out of Real Madrid and fan engagement and our innovation center. And we, we jumped across the United States, meeting with uh, NFL teams, uh, MLS teams, NBA, NHL. We went west to east explaining and showcasing our solutions there it was an, an amazing journey and every time you got in the room you met these people who are so deep and so knowledgeable about their team their league their sport and needed some of the technology uh, and capabilities that we could bring so it, it's been a heck of a ride definitely but i feel like we're just scratching the surface i'm sure you. you see that as well yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that, and that's amazing, and thank you for sharing that, right? Because one of the amazing things, I mean, I think sort of the, the Tom Brady being kind of unkind to a surface on the sideline, notwithstanding, right? I think one of the conversations that that has enabled, John, which is which is amazing and completely exciting, is what do you surface to that surface, excuse the pun, right? So what are the insights and the, and the delivery of those insights look like that they make sense real time? 
right? That I can look at something and I don't have to digest it for 30 seconds because that's 30 seconds too late. I need to be able to get something on this and then make a play happen, which is part and parcel of what we do for not only the, the NFL, but a lot of the leagues and, and teams, clubs and franchises underneath as well. And that speaks a lot into what you you create, you have a great presence on, on LinkedIn and other channels around stackable content, right? And, and I say I was fanboying earlier, but it's for real because I learn a lot from you, right? In those little snackable contexts. And I think that's where we've come as a generation, right? If it's longer than 30 seconds, I sort of taper off in my learning process here. But you talk about data literacy, which is extremely important for, and I think more important so that with our experience with the sports teams, for non-analysts, for non-data scientists, right? For non-analytical or computer science degree members, for a head coach, for example, or a defensive coach to look at something and within five seconds know of a decision I should make. How do you think translating data literacy into actually being able to make a decision that is defensible, how important do you think that is for sports these days? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously critical because, you know, you know everything is, is microanalyzed, you know, every decision, every go left, go right. My Seattle friends are going to hate me. Every hand to Marshawn Lynch or, or throw <laughs> on the one, one yard line. Sorry, sorry, Seattle folks, but Giants fans. <laughs> it's critical because when we think of data literacy, when I frame it, it's, it's a, it has a few layers to it. It's understanding first what data you are actually giving. What data, I mean, you can walk through the day and say, oh my gosh, you know, I haven't, I haven't done anything. I, I've given no data today. Have you? Are you wearing a smart ring? You got your phone in your pocket? You're giving up a lot of data. First, I really believe the first layer is understanding your own, as a provider, the data you're, you're sharing and knowing, knowingly that you are going to give that up. And then beyond that, though, it, it starts to come into, okay, well, how's it being used? Who's maybe handing it to a data broker? Who's just leveraging it to make my life easier? That's why I always run Waze on my phone. I live in the New York tri-state area. I couldn't survive without it, but I know what I'm giving up. So then you kind of get beyond that into now, how do I interpret? How do I read it? How do I understand it? Because my goodness, you can make numbers say anything, anything you want. And I really see this, this power shift that those with the better numbers, the prettier numbers, the prettier presentation layer, and most importantly, the communication skills to try and convince you of it can get things done that would have a really horrific outcome from underserved communities, from, you know, uh, take teams who are in smaller markets, right? You can have sort of this competitive advantage or unfair advantage, depending on your ability to leverage, interpret, and communicate data. And I really think we have to focus on getting to a common equitable standard across our society, across teams, leagues. And again, I think there's a lot of leagues doing a lot of great work in that space to make sure the human the the coach the experience gets to make as much of the difference as possible you're absolutely right about the importance of data i think john and i on a previous podcast john had talked about the fact that data is now the the new currency it, it really means so much to be able to not only get great data but really be able to 
drive the discussion on how we can make fan engagement better. How can we make our operations better? Uh, the folks that know how to extract those insights uh, are, are definitely going to be the people that are, are far <laughs> successful, you know, in their goals and organizations that know how to do this as well. And being able to capitalize on that capability, it, it's going to be so important from a, a competitive uh, advantage. So I couldn't agree more. And it actually links to my uh, my question for you. I uh, had the pleasure of meeting you at the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference, which was a um, fantastic experience. And you were part of a panel discussion talking about data as the new muscle. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and some of the discussion that, or the key points rather, that you really found insightful from that discussion? Yeah, it, it was it was amazing seeing you in person. First time being out of the out of the house at a business trip in two and a half years. So that was absolutely <laughs> the highlight. Uh, was actually looking at a human. No, I you know the collection of people that that conference brings together is is unmatched. I mean, you have every aspect of the industry, and everybody is there to sort of nerd out in one way or the other, which which was so, so cool. The conversations I've had, I had that, that weekend across folks in research, students, executives at, at big name teams, you had to, you had to be ready to discuss it all. And I think what, what continuously came out through amazing sessions like, and, and John, I'm looking at your sweatshirt, right? Phil, Phil Chang from the Lakers, right? His session, I mean, it was just so insightful. Yeah, he showed us some of the things that he's giving to the Lakers coaches to make calls and decisions. But you know what I took away from that session was if he can't speak in their language and catch that coach walking down the hallway in the 60-second window he's got to say, start, sit, just showing you the matchup, you know, he really tipped the scales. It, it's, it really resonated with me because how many times do we – if we're just in the boring old business world, how many times do we say, you got 30 seconds, you're riding with the customer in the elevator, go, right? And it, yep. was, and it was no matter how cool a job you have, Phil, you know, running analytics for the Lakers, <laughs> he's got the same scenario, you know? And so, so Suzanne, the muscle that we're all trying to build here, and honestly, we're all trying to build it. And it's taking a lot of practice. It's taking a, a lot of vitamins. <laughs> Which is education in my mind. Some people, you know, you, you hire the experts in. I think that's more of the creatine effect, you know, let's 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 jack it up. And then we're having issues, right? I mean, there there are insights that, that don't make sense. We can't defend. There are insights that maybe aren't as ethical as we'd like. There's insights that we just can't communicate to get to action. So you're kind of, you know, that's when you, you hurt the muscle, you pull the muscle and you go to you go to PT to fix it. But we're all trying to build this. And, and we're, while there are folks who, who look like they're light years ahead, I think when you zoom way out and see where we're at, you know, we're all within a, a one variation of each other. There's nobody off the charts in this space. And so what I learned really resonated with me was everybody is going through it. We're all very close to each other, all the teams, all the executives, all the companies trying to solve this stuff and really just get to outcomes. And, and the... The passion, the way folks talk about their sport. I'll yeah. throw one more out there. I went to a research paper presentation. I wish I could remember the gentleman's name, but 
he works for a, a gaming company and they sponsor gaming teams for Valorant, which is an amazing first person shooter my, my high school son plays. And he was showing analytic AI, ML model maps about if you're in this part of the map, your percentage of success of getting more kills and getting killed, depending on which gun you're using and which direction you're facing. And they're using that to train their e-gamers so they can perform better in their sport. And it was just, it was so cool to see left to right of the entire sports industry, e-sport to physical sport. Yeah, that was, that was a blast. It really was. I appreciate the honesty about the fact that, you know, we're all not quite there yet. I think sometimes for leaders, there's this fear that in comparison to other people, we're way, we're way behind and we've got to do better. We need to be investing more resources. But to your point, the truth of the matter is we're all still just learning and trying to refine what we're doing and get better with each iteration versus being experts right out the, right out the gate. And I think sometimes that puts people into a defensive position and they say, you know, full stop, let's create a policy, let's not do this, we can't have this because, you know, if you don't understand it or you feel you're too far behind, you know, then then maybe the option is to to stop the progress. I've seen that as well. And and so I think I think driving more of these events, the literacy and the awareness that everybody is pretty early yes. on this journey, I, I think I think could really help. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I heard a statement which is so true, right? That Sports franchises are in a race to be the first to be second. Nobody wants to be that first club or team or franchise that goes out there and, and puts a, a stake in the ground. Um, and I think that's changing, right? And, and I think it's changing because of these events um, like we're having, like Daryl and, and, and them are putting on for MIT, which is in its 14th year or so right now, right? I mean, there was 12 people at the first one and they had to turn people away at this one. And I think that the, the thirst for knowledge is there, but I think we're seeing now that translation of, huh, that was interesting. I wonder who's going to do that. Moving into, huh, that's pretty interesting. How can we do that? Do we have to partner? Do we have to hire in people? The esports is phenomenal. I was speaking with Haley Mason, who's the, the chief uh, data scientist for the Cloud9 esports group, um, and they're phenomenal. So I, I have a, a daughter who um, who plays on um, League of Legends, and, and they're one of the, the premier teams out there, right? And the data science, that, that, that the models that they're pulling down, to your point, John, of, of if you are in a certain, a certain area of the map with a certain device, in a certain position, and if you have a certain team together in terms of numbers and what those team makeup is, your probability scores go up and down. And these gamers, professional gamers, are watching it in real time. So there's a game that they're looking not to get fragged on, but they're also looking at stats and data coming at the same time. It's kind of like they're a minority report on where to go, right? So if we just dial that back a little bit, we were talking with an MLB team around how do they ensure how they match up against the bullpen because the bullpen is a variable component of the game. We don't know who's coming in when they're coming in because a lot of that variability is based upon who's on the mound at the moment. So there's, there's an amazing solution out there that can predict what the next pitch will be, which is interesting for us micro betters and us stats guys, but it's, it's fairly not, it's not useful real time for the MLB teams because they can't take real time data in the dugouts and do anything with it. It's illegal. But 
Where they can take data from is the MLB network feeding into the dugouts. And if they have the ability to find out who is coming up next in the bullpen, they can change the lineup accordingly, right? So I think to your point, coming from a defensible position about how we make decisions, data literacy is a huge component of that. But I also think faith, right? Faith in the fact that I can now take something that's intangible, data, AI, for example, right? The dark arts, as they still, still refer to, and put a little bit of trust in that, that I can make that leap of faith that I am going to get a better on-base percentage, or I am going to get a, a better touchdown probability from my star players. I think that's interesting. And, and one of the things that you talk about, the, the projects in the basement, it's funny, right? Because those are starting to come to prominence. Five years ago, they're like, oh, I'm not telling anybody I'm working on this. This is a weekend warrior thing, right? So now people are leading with the, these things in, in owners meetings and in general manager meetings, right? Um, how much do you think that is attributed to, to us just getting smarter or us making the technology more accessible to people than it's ever been before? I think probably the latter. But I, but I also think the FOMO, the fear of missing out effect, it's pretty huge, pretty huge, right? Yep. I'll answer your question. I think I think it's a it's a host of things, right? So you've got the oh no, if they have it and I don't, you know, my my product, <laughs> my my performance is going to suffer, right? So right. I, I think that there's 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 obviously a ton of that. There's also the the accessibility of the tech that you said. I mean, you're talking, you know, this. You you meet with leagues, you meet with teams. I mean, these are folks who who there's usually five. Like if five is a big department of technology, yes, and these people and these people have to do everything. I mean, yes. end to end. Like, oh hey, you know, coaches, you know, a card where they need to sit there and run tape with players ain't working. Get your butt over there. Oh, and can you get me a predictive analytics? You know, on how we're doing this week. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it's 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 a hard job. It really is. And so you have these few folks trying to to manage all of this across a team. So I think that, you know, the advancement of all the stuff we've been able to put in the cloud, you know, the pre-trained models or the API calls, the cognitive API calls that you just have to go point Excel to, point a website to, and you can get some value out of it, I think has been a, a big boost as well. And then lastly, I think that what I've seen is surrounding environment of the actual contest has grown up really fast with yeah. analytics and AI, which then has that sort of effect on the contest that says, well, shoot, we're, we're using all this stuff here. Why not, why not there within the rules? We met with one of the, one of the big market and MLB teams, and we weren't there to talk about pitching and bullpen. We were there to talk about predicting where they needed to move concession around the stadium real time. Because the minute you run out of hot dog buns over here, you have lost revenue. While yeah. hot dog buns are sitting over there in plenty. And then what about drawing boundaries with beacon technology? If I buy a hot dog five feet inside the stadium, I get 5%. I buy, if I sell a hot dog five feet outside the stadium, I get 95% of that revenue. Yep. Mm, interesting. How do I use data? How do I use traffic flow, people flow, different, you know, different, you know, entertainment pieces of my venue 
to optimize, maximize, and and really give the fan experience on site. But look, you know, optimize revenue. So I feel like that's grown up around the contest on the field or on the pitch or on the court. And I think that is really also stemming the okay. Let's 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 take a look at it for for this part of the the business as well. Yes, yeah, spot on. And Suzanne will groan right now because I I always say I've said on every one right. There's never been a better time to be a sports fan, right? There just really hasn't because all of what you're talking about, the delivery mechanism of that product, is all to enhance the experience of the fans. So we want to come. So we want to spend. We want to partake in this experiential environment now, which is for me. Because if you look 20 years ago. There's a game on. You watch it. You lean back if you're at home and if you're in the stadium, you sit down, you be quiet. Or if you want to go have a beer or a hot dog, you wait in line for 35 minutes and you, you're happy about it. Right now, it's completely changed. Right? I mean, and remember, you, you got the assessment of that game the next day in the paper. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm, a, I'm a lifer hockey and tennis player. And I mean, if you haven't sat down and watched a modern tennis match, it will blow your mind to hear an announcer say to hear Martina Navratilova say, you know, well, if you've noticed in the first set, forehand topspin rotation went from 1350 miles per hour, 1350 rotations per minute to 1640. <laughs> so you can see how he's really put up and you're like, they're tracking rotation of the ball. It's like, but it's fascinating that they can make that assessment in match. And so that for me, that's just, that's just a joy <laughs> to see that. Oh, absolutely. It's brilliant, right? And people have capitalized on that as well, right? Because we look at the, and especially the overseas market for sure, but the U.S. now, and it's, it's going state by state in the betting um, industry and the micro betting. What does the rotation speed up or down mean for a micro bet on a serve or on a volley or on a return, right? I mean, those. it's just it, the extrapolation of how this, how far this goes is never ending, which is why it's so important and it's so exciting for us to be part of this business as well. But it also raises a, po- a, a, a critical point and something that's near and dear to your heart, John, around AI specifically, around, but around the ethics of AI, right? Because we can do anything, quite literally, right? Should we and what and how should we more specifically, right? Um, and I know you're a big proponent for AI ethics. I'd like to get, if you don't mind, just a, a quick couple of seconds on on why this is so important to you because you are so vocal about it and you are and, and you teach us a lot about this so i'd love to get just your, your 30 seconds on that john yeah i i think you said it best before you ask how should you we do need to take a pause and say you know should we and i think that's a really important piece because those decisions of should we do this or should we not do this right now across the globe Depending on on the actor making the decision, there are very, very different decisions being made. And we know there are bad actors out there that are using this technology absolutely as offensive weapons, as influencer weapons, as ways to create an outcome that is going to marginalize people. It's going to hurt people who are already at a disadvantage or, you know, change the course of history. So taking that taking that beat taking that pause having a system in place that says do we do this and at microsoft that's called the ether committee and it's the ai and ethics uh board for technology and engineering and i i i love that you know that is our first step at microsoft bring together a group of diverse minded diverse experienced people 
who have backgrounds. I and mean, we have chemists on the ether board. We have rights activists. You have people all over with different lived experiences. And first make a call, should we? Should we try to apply this technology there? Because a lot of times the answer is no. And if you can find the, the outcome, the benefit, and you say, yes, let's apply this technology and try to do, do whatever the, the question is, whatever the outcome you're driving, now you need to say, how should we do it? And you have to use a framework. We've open sourced ours at Microsoft, the AI ethical framework, but you have to use a framework. And for me and for us, we believe that it's simply based on fairness, you should treat all people fairly. There should be no systemic baked in advantage in the system itself, should be reliable and safe, which means it should not be able to harm economies, harm people. It should be, it should, you know, you should be able to know that the system's doing what it's doing and that it can't create harm. It obviously has to be private and secure. I mean, think about putting a system out there that makes a decision drives an action, it could be something, oh, you know, put this much product over here, that much product over there. But it could also be take funds for a town and put them to this housing project versus that housing project. And that has real human impact. If that system is not private, secured, could you imagine somebody getting into that, hacking it, tweaking the outcome and really hurting people? Where, where that money's going to be funded, to which social cause that's going to be funded. And that brings it you know, to the next one, which is inclusive. I mean, these have to be inclusive systems. They should empower and engage every single person. They cannot, they cannot exclude out of the gate. And then lastly, we believe in full transparency, that you need to be able to understand what's happening, auditability, traceability, something we call data lineage, where the data go, where did it come from, where did it change? And then at the end of the day, John, somebody needs to be accountable. There are systems that shouldn't just be released into the wild and you just say, well, you know, it did what it did. We're the people who built it. We have to remain accountable. And I think our really? company has shown that even when there's been hiccups on this type of stuff, you know, Satya and his leadership team look at it and say, what can we learn? How do we do better? How do we not make sure this happens again? But we're accountable. We, we decided, we said yes. And then we decided how we were going to go implement. So it is, you know, all of that is a lot of words to say. We truly believe in responsible AI. I think it's critically important. And, and thank you for, for saying that. And I love the way you frame it. The, the ending is critically important around accountability. And I think that's the thread that you have to build AI on from the moment you think it, to the moment you code it, to the moment you release it and either train it or have it auto-train, right? Um, that, that accountability across every step is absolutely there. And there's something in there which you said, um, which is extremely important as well for, for I think, going back to, to how we started the call um, around how do we make data insights understandable? for those that don't necessarily know how to create an AI model or create an ML model or, or even do anything other than, a, than an Excel formula. So the, one, of the, one of the important things is accessibility. And I think cloud has really driven that accessibility point home, especially for AI, with the fact that it has to be, trans, it has to be transparent and it has to be accessible for all. And a lot of the questions we originally got around AI was, can you give me a model for X? Well, sure, we can make one for you or you can have one. So, but no, I just want to buy one. So, okay, well, 
That's not really the point. If you have a level playing field, where's your competitive advantage? It's how you train your models. It's the data sets that you decide to procure or create and have, have composite feeds feeding that model that your competitors don't have. You may have the exact same models, that's okay. But how you feed them and how you deal with the outcomes of those models are absolutely um, critically important. I know Suzanne has been working with a lot of the, the teams here around the infrastructure piece of that, of how do you how you get a team, which predominantly a lot of these teams are still modernizing. They're going from data centers underneath their venues into the cloud. That's a big deal. So I think Suzanne has some of the, the, the better insights as to how we, we have these conversations around it's okay to live in something that isn't tangible, aka the cloud. Would you agree with that? I, I totally agree. I, I'm always very customer centric. I, I know because of you know some of the things that we talked about in terms of privacy, safety, does it do harm? But it's also important to make sure to kind of dispel a lot of misinformation and knowledge gaps that it is possible to utilize cloud in a safe, less harmful way that can you know, completely change how you how you do business. It's just a matter of making sure that you have that fundamental understanding of cloud and those tools and making sure that you have the right people along the way to, to guide you versus I know everything. I'm like, if you know everything about cloud, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. I'd like to meet that person. I would love to meet that person. Uh, yeah, you and me both, right? <laughs> <laughs> like yesterday. Like yesterday. <laughs> yeah, and and I think Suzanne, you 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 see a lot of right, like, oh well, my competitive advantage is is that I have it here. Like, that's not your competitive advantage. It's 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 how quickly can you get those things that you shouldn't spend your brain power on and move them to somebody else so they can worry about that? And then you figure out how to apply. In data science, we say that there's research data scientists, the folks cracking the next great model, and then there's the applied side. Okay, thank you, super double PhD person who, who did that amazing breakthrough. Now, <laughs> can I apply that to something that I can go tweak the parameters, add new data, look at it a different way, and solve something. And so I think that in cloud infrastructure, cloud technology, it's the same. If you're a sports team, don't be a research you know, infrastructure person. We've already figured that out. We got servers that run underwater, right? <laughs> like, like, be the applied you know, infrastructure person. Figure out how do you make your pipelines faster? How do you ensure you have lineage and you can see through and where it's moving? How do you get real time versus batch? Like be the applied person. And I think super crazy example, we had, we had two customers that were sort of in, in a race to get to market with a new product and it was a really complicated solution. So imagine like 40 year old hardware moving around and they want both thought, well, shoot, why don't we, you know, I think, what did they tell us? Like, you know, um, majority of their costs are maintaining this hardware and and it's not servers this is something else completely but but so they said well gosh if we could predict when that was going to fail and break down we'll send out our technicians ahead of time you know we'll have less downtime customers will love us so they start they asked us to work on these models but the problem is one of the units in this thing was it was a bill handler so a thing that takes dollar bills you know the little roller when you get to a vending yep. machine you know? I'm going to stick a dollar in. 
you know, maybe often those things fail or can be cheated. Anyway, that, that hardware was built 25 years ago. It doesn't have any data. It doesn't have any sensors. It's not IoT capable. So, you know, we worked with this company for quite a while and we never got a model that had good enough recall and accuracy that, that you would make a business decision on it. And so while one team is going, well, we'll just be super smarter and we'll break down that hardware problem, which sort of like the research side, the applied side said, well, hold on a second. Why don't we look at this problem a different way? If we look at which of these things have been serviced, have broken down, where our technicians have been and predict the best place to put a proactive service technician, then could we do that? And could that reduce the downtime? And guess what? It worked. So That's they awesome. used the applied side, looked at the problem differently. Still, there's still analytics, there's still ML, mm -hmm. but it wasn't predict the, the old tiny thing failing. It was predict which of these devices were going to be great because they had been serviced and they hadn't been touched and they right. don't get that much use and then go to the other ones. You, you hit on something I think is really important is that having the appropriate mindset to solve these problems instead of looking at it from a pretty outdated approach. And I think sometimes the bedrock of, of those mindset shifts has a lot to do with the, the culture that's ingrained in the organization and really thinking about what what is your culture's you know propensity for, for kind of thinking a little bit more holistically and deeply on how to solve a problem versus just kind of making that grand assumption, it's a hardware problem and we must take it apart. <laughs> right, I mean, look, yeah. it, you, you're right. You have to be able to, to take a step back and say, maybe we're going about this the wrong way and take a little risk. And that's why we're trying to take, take as much risk as possible as moving things to the cloud. You know, install a landing zone, apply the security, all that stuff is, stuff's boring now you know for, for for a lot of folks because you you want to use your sports mind on breaking down the problem the matchup the challenge and getting your competitive advantage over there i think exactly. i think you're right and exactly and that's what we want to be the enabler for that so that you're not recreating the wheel we've got it done for you exactly and i think trust is a big part of that right i was in a meeting with the nfl team and it's about having hard hard discussions as well and having the defensible position to have those discussions, I was talking about data and AI, as I always do, right? Um, with a with a general manager and and the team and the IT team of a fairly successful NFL um, franchise, and one of the the general manager says, "I don't want to go to the cloud. I don't have to go to the cloud. I fill every single seat in my stadium, regardless who the opponent is." All my home games are sold out. I don't have a problem. I have my data over here that I get a printout every morning and I read it and I'm okay. So thanks for coming in. Sorry for wasting your time. Maybe we'll go to the cloud when all of our servers, which we just refreshed in 2012, break. Right? Well, okay, fine. No problem, right? And as I was just about to come in with a little bit of a retort to that question or that line of thinking, one of his own team members, it was the um, head of, of IT, turned around and said, well, the difference with the conversation that we're having now is that 
I had this conversation with another NFL team, which I you hired me from because we did such a great job. And we did such a great job because we had no value in stagnant data. We did such a great job because we weren't any longer in the database administration business. We did great work because we got back to being in the football business. So that's why you hired me. And if you want us to get there, I think you'll listen to what Microsoft is saying because never once have they ever sold as a product or ever sold as a solution. They've walked in here and said, how do we help you maximize revenue? How do we help you win games? How do we help you fill in the blank of the problem that you have? It's never about a skew. It's never about a rate card of services rates. It's about what do we do next? And then we figure out if we can budget that. Then we figure out if that's a priority right now or if that's a priority for off-season or the next season. That's the difference. And having that come out of somebody other than my mouth on that team I was having a meeting with, that I mean, beat that, right? That that was like the, the pinnacle. I mean, this podcast beat that because it's it's huge on. But I mean, outside of this, outside of that, it was it, it was amazing. And I think, and, and I'll be quiet for a second though, but I think that's the way that teams and clubs and franchises are, are moving. We're seeing the next generation, and I hate that because I'm an old guy, I can say that, but we see the next generation of people coming in and challenging leadership to you brought me here to do this. I can't unless you help me modernize the way we do things. Yeah, and and uh, you know what a great what a great courage for that person to uh, to step up and say, well, hold on a second, because you know all customers, all of our teams, all of our leagues, they're not they're not there yet, they're not. But you will see the most successful franchises, which one of the most successful in MLB history, when we walked over to to talk to them, it, it wasn't anything about technology. It yep. was simply, so you see all those suites over there, John? I said, yeah. He says, okay. So I stand here on game night, and if the lights aren't on, that's a problem. Those are dark suites. I was like, yeah, I, I can see how that's a problem. So here's what I'm thinking. What if we could predict, not the night before, that we have unsold suites? What about a month before? What about three months before? If we looked at who came, how much they spent, who's our corporate sponsors, who the opponent is, what the weather is, what the traffic is, and I can get my marketing team to start dialing for dollars on those predicted dark suites, I have solved a revenue problem. I, we, we met for over an hour and a half. We didn't talk about a single technology or product. Love it that. was, how do we get there? But, but John, that's, that's one in four conversations totally. that generally we probably walk into today, right? Absolutely. Uh, but, yeah. but when they hit, they hit, man. And that oh. it's such a great room to be in. Oh, man, you, you just, you're, you're like dancing and singing on the way home. Like, oh, oh my absolutely. gosh, we're going to do something cool. <laughs> I love it. Yep, you're, you're, you are so right. John, we are at the end of our time today, but it was a sincere pleasure having you on. Thank you again for your time and your insights. Uh, truly enjoyed the conversation and we hope that you'll be a guest uh, again in the future. Anytime, thank you. The pleasure's all mine. I'll join <laughs> the, uh, the Suzanne and John show uh, anytime. <laughs> anytime. You've got some dead air to fill. How about that? <laughs> Oh, it's never dead air when you're on, John. This has been awesome. And thank you so much again for being a guest. This was fantastic. Thank you. Take care. Thank you.
And with that, we're going to bring our episode to a close, but thank you so much for taking the time to listen. We always welcome your feedback on this episode as well as ideas for next episodes. But until next time, everyone take care and we'll be seeing you soon.